Everyone dreams about living an uncommon life, but how we define that dream is very different for each of us. And for most, it's a lifelong pursuit. Welcome to the Uncommon Life Project Podcast. We're going to introduce you to people who are living that life or enjoying the journey to get there. We're going to also give you some tools, tricks, and tips for starting or accelerating your own efforts to live an uncommon life, a life worth celebrating and savoring. Please welcome your hosts, Brian Dewhurst and Philip Ramsey. Hello and welcome to the Uncommon Life Project. I am your host, Philip Ramsey. And I'm Brian Dewhurst. Thank you for that lovely intro, Fiona. That was great. Is that what we're calling her now? That is what we're calling her today. Anyway, you guys, I can't wait for the show. I always say that. Let's just be really honest with each other. Uh, we have one of our, I would say, mutual mentors, yes, uh, Doug Shiplett, uh, going to be able to talk to us today. Cannot wait to unpack this. And let's just be really honest. I'm going to hit it up right front. He is a network marketer. And if you've listened to the podcast before, you kind of know where we stand on that. Isn't bad? Isn't good? It's just what it is. We're going to dive into it. So, who is Doug Shiplett? Doug has been involved in the Des Moines business community since 2005, initially investment real estate through his company, Antioch Investments, and now with his son and John, uh, with his son, John, and daughter-in-law, Hannah, at Eden and Gray Design and Build, a custom home remodeling company. Doug's faith-based work has been extensive as he serves currently as a visionary leader of Kaleo Church Network, a church planning network based in Iowa and California. Prior to that focus, Doug served as executive, uh, executive vice president and director of international partnerships at Build International through 2012, and after serving as the senior pastor, pastor of Crossroads Bible Church in San Jose, California for nine years. International faith-based work and partnerships have been at the center of Doug's work as he serves currently on two international missions boards. He has traveled in 28 countries to facilitate training in ministry. Doug has been married to his beautiful wife, Marilyn, for 40 years. And they have three children and 12 grandchildren, all living in the Des Moines metro area. Welcome to the show, Doug Shiplett. Thanks, you guys. I'm, I'm honored to be here. Um, the, the, bio, um, I, the bio is always such a double-edged sword, man. I'm just a regular guy, you guys. I'm just a regular awesome. guy, so that, that needs to be said on the back end of that bio, okay? That's awesome. But no, you've done a lot. You've accomplished a lot, and... Uh, you know, God's put you in the front lines, and so it's cool to uh, walk through all that. Not only Thanks, that, yeah. but uh, the fact that you're working with your your son and daughter-in-law, and you are very intricately woven in your whole network and your family. I'm so lucky to know most of your family members and your children, uh, but to see the hand of God inside your family and what you do for them, it is remarkable. So thank you for leading in that, and we're excited just to dive in on who you are and how you got there. and and kind of your story. So let's just jump right in. Thanks, Ben. Let's talk about, you know, you were kind of at one point not where you're at today. So we usually like to take our listeners through, let's just talk about Doug Shiplett and you weren't always here. Let's go kind of dive back to where you were when you were just doing the nine to five, uh, maybe out of college, maybe not. You can go as far back as you'd like to and kind of tell us how you got to where you're at today. Yeah, it's great, man. I, I, it, there's never sort of been a, a a nine to five, but there's been probably two pretty seminal moments that that changed the direction of things, changed the course of things. And I uh, graduated from uh, Bible College, Columbia uh, International University, in, um, in way back in the dark ages, <laughs> and uh, uh, went and uh, was an administrator at a Christian high school and, and the uh, football coach there for 
five years and still trying to sort of sort out exactly where I was going to land on things. But I did feel very, very um, deeply that I had a, a faith call on my life. And that, that was, um, so that, that becomes layered on top of sort of the whole narrative and the, the story that frankly God has written mm-hmm. uh, for my life. And so from that, we chose to go to back to grad school and I went to Dallas Seminary, Dallas, Texas, was there for five years and put us more on a focused course of, of church ministry. And I was uh, an intern, was able to intern under um, my mentor, Dr. Gene Getz, who is an amazing man. Um, uh, author and uh, nas- internationally known, and he really, he really gave me a vision for the future and for faith-based ministry and church ministry. And so from there, I went and and uh, to uh, took a position in uh, Northern California in the San San Francisco Bay Area and pastored a church there, large church there for uh, just about ten years before we moved into more of an international international focus and. Um, Along the way, you guys, it's just been a it's been a uh, a journey of of sort of two very different um, models of how I look at my life. One is sort of what is what is my calling, and then then the other things the the career, recreation, family, money, all of that stuff is a subset to the calling. And I've tried mm-hmm. that. That's been the real. That's those two things and keeping those two things in tension, the right kind of tension with each other has been the driving force of things and um, causes me pretty regularly to to make a, a, a set of assessments and, and course corrections if they're needed. And so a couple times along the way, we've we've made some course corrections in that um, came to Iowa in 2001 to um, be a part of a mission organization called Build International. It's based out of Ames. Um, wonderful organization that um, provides uh, uh, the base the international training uh, for pastors at all different levels, and um, I was leading the international expansion of that organization th- through 2012. And um, in there was that was where some shifts began to take place in in around 2005, 2006, and led us kind of to the place that we're at today. Nice. Let's go Very back because cool. you were a pastor of a large church in California. How many people were you pastoring? You know, we would have uh, we would have on any given Sunday uh, a couple thousand folks that were there, and probably mm-hmm. if everyone showed up at the same time, it'd probably be close to twenty three or twenty five, twenty seven hundred folks. Wow. wow! Yeah. And so, what was that transition like? Because California and Iowa, I don't know if you know, <laughs> are a little different. <laughs> so, how did you stop leading and 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 pastoring that big church and head towards Iowa? Well, the first thing you need to know is that it took me a good solid two to three years before I came that I was from Iowa when I moved here. Mm. People would say, where are you from? I go, well, I live in Iowa, but I'm from California. <laughs> yeah. And uh, so I, I was, it was a big shift, but um, it was not um, it was not as dramatic as it seems. And by the way, I love the Midwest now. I love living here. This is mm-hmm. a this is an amazing place to have life and business and family and all those things. But um, the the issue was is, is that in this in this sort of 
separation between what's my calling? Why really do I believe I'm on this earth? What do I want to accomplish? And mm. maybe the 75, 80, 90 years that, that I'm given, um, it, in that assessment of things, I, I realized that uh, I really wanted to be about um, a, kind of a different context. And I had been connected with this organization, Build International, um, for a few years prior to moving to Iowa at kind of a, a board, uh, at a board level. And that led into this opportunity opening up that was more of an international opportunity. And it was an opportunity to sort of, in some ways, exponentially maybe reproduce myself, working with leaders of movements internationally and that sort of thing. And that felt right at the time. It just was the, it was the, and I, I will say, guys, I've never had a career path that, that was listed out that I said, okay, at this age, <laughs> I want to do this. And I just haven't done that. Things have evolved. Um, I will say I, I love, I'm a connector of people. I love networking with people. Um, and so things happen, you know, when you're, when you're engaged with, with people along that way. Um, but I was very clear about what I, the compelling vision that I wanted for our, my life and our family. And that led to this, this move to Iowa and the, the international work. Gotcha. So, Doug, you're pastoring a church. Now you're helping with the board of another organization. Mm -hmm. Walk our listeners through on a very high level. What were you doing financially? You were just kind of getting paid by these positions. Were you? Did you have that entrepreneurial spirit? Was it all just totally focused on the mission field and the church? Yeah. So it's interesting. This is a that's a great question that leads into a a, a larger idea that I'm really passionate about, Brian. And that is when I was when I was 22, um, I I went in. I had no idea what I was doing, but I I. I knew I was coaching football and I was sort of working in this church in Florida at the time, just had graduated. And, and I, um, I didn't know anything other than the fact that every sort of successful financial person that I knew was engaged in real estate. Okay. That's, that's, that's <laughs> all I knew at the time. And so mm -hmm. I remember walking in Florida national bank, which is a bank in Palm beach gardens, Florida and saying, Hey, I'm going to build some real estate. And will you lend me the money to do that? And, and this, and it was just this guy, just, I don't know what, maybe it was divine. I, I don't know. But this guy said, Hey, and this was at the time when mortgage first mortgage money was about 14 and a half to 15% interest. Oh my God. And, um, and construction money was even a little higher than that uh, until you convert it. So I, so I had, I had, had a little cash. So we built our first duplex, our, which was a rental property wow. um, when I was 22. And, and I loved that, man. Now, what happened then was is that as I became more serious about what my calling was, and I really mm -hmm. felt my calling had a faith-based component to it, that I, I really, guys, I wanted to be someone that, that breathed life into people. And I felt like that my relationship with God and my relationship with Jesus Christ was how that happened. Mm -hmm. So I wanted that. That was, that was above everything else. Well, at the time it was like, okay, well you can either go into business or you can go into church work. That was, those <laughs> were the choices. Those yeah. were the choices. Right. And I go, well, well man, I, if this calling seems like the only thing that my, the only option I have is going to church work. And, and so that led down a path where, yes, I, I, um, my financial 
care for my our family was through support from either some sort of organization or ch or the church, salary at a church or that sort of thing. The problem with that was is that I I really have always loved entrepreneurial things. I've loved business. I've enjoyed that a lot, but it was it was always cast in this what I call really really unfortunate bifurcation of secular and sacred. That's this, mm. that secular work that you would do gotcha. as opposed to the sacred work that you would do. Can't yeah. cross so, over. Those things are two different things, right? That's what And that we just the last 10 years that has been utterly obliterated in my mind. And a key um, a key thought leader around that is um, a guy by the name of Tim Keller who wrote a book, Every Good Endeavor, that talks about um, every, all of our work is sacred. Mm. All of our work is is work that is under our purpose, you know? Sure. So anyway. That is, a, that is a great book, by the way. It's just a great book. Yeah. It's now on my list. <laughs> so, yeah. So tell me this. So you get to that point, right? And you have this itch of the real estate, it sounds yeah. like, mm -hmm. and you yeah. loved it. And then yeah. you've got this, uh, maybe pressure is the right word from other people. Like it's either yeah. you go into business and you be an entrepreneur or you, do, you go follow your passion and lead after God and you mm -hmm. pastor people. And you chose the go pastor people. Did you uh -huh. let the real estate go? Did you sell it? What did you do there? Yeah. So when I went to, when I went to uh, grad school, we by that time we had built a couple more properties and we liquidated everything because I was going to be then long distance and I didn't want to be managing properties long distance. Mm -hmm. And, yep. and I said, frankly, I, I still was so naive about how to, to make real estate a business, you know, how to really sure. make, make, make money at it. So yep. we liquidated all the properties and, and, and that was, that was set aside basically for, mm -hmm for a good solid 15, 20 years. Yeah. Wow. So then you yeah. fast forward, you're in Iowa. Yeah. You're older now. You've had a yeah. lot more experience. Yeah. And walk us through, how'd you get back into it? How'd you get back into it? What was, well, it was I think before yeah. you go on, Doug, one of the things I want to talk about is like, we talk a lot about, I think God puts something inside all of us that we just can't turn off and we can't ignore. And we reach this point that it kind of like, I just got to do that. It's too loud. It's too loud. And, and life is too short. So can you walk us through kind of how you then brought the bifurcation of secular and, of secular and sacred converging to converge and, and what that looked like in your life? So it's become really, really clear to me more and more as I've gotten older, why I'm here, why I'm on the earth and, and the legacy that I want to leave with people, my, my wife, my family, my grandchildren. So uh, to do that, you have to sustain yourself and you have to be able to give your time and your energies to the things that are of value to you. In, uh, in around 2005, just the financial landscape of things um, with the, the, the organization uh, that I was with and that sort of thing um, was such that I needed to sort of um, be thinking about a longer term financial plan. And, um, and I'd not thought about that really, really well, uh, along the way. I, I, I loved business. I loved that part of it. I didn't instinctively believe that there was a separation between secular and sacred, but it was always like you had to make one choice or the other. And so we just set out on a, on a course of, of, of investing and saying, look, this is, we've got to, we've got to maintain a stability financially 
to continue to do the things that we believe that we're called to do. Yes. And, and what, what's that going to look like in, in 10 years, 15 or 20 years? And that, that set us on a course of, of going after and spending time and in, in areas of business and investing um, where we could build a legacy of passive income, reoccurring income, at where now that's become really, really some specific goals, thanks to you guys, frankly. <laughs> and I mean that, Un yeah. and Uncommonwealth Partners, helping me put some, real, some reality to that, to, oh. to where we've got some really, really yeah. specific goals by the time we're 70. I'm 62 right now. By the time we're 70, that is largely based on passive income, that we can give ourselves to doing the things and the, giving ourselves to the time that we want um, to really leave the legacy, kind of the that we want to leave. So that, I think 2005, there, there became some a, kind of a crisis moment in our thinking nice. around that. You know, I think like if you're not of the faith, mm -hmm. there's always, you're probably not listening by now. Let's just be really honest, but <laughs> yeah, uh, if true. you're not, there <laughs> is always this poll, which I love, Doug, don't, that's not on you, but uh, there is this poll of like, should I do a career or should I go entrepreneurship? Right. And it doesn't seem like those mm -hmm. can cross kind of like you're talking yeah. about. So it's, it's yeah. Somewhat similar there, and I think a lot of people wrestle with that, but I do appreciate that you would just talk about that and how hard it is and how that's complete old school thinking. And you can pursue being an entrepreneur and a business owner as well as following your passions in Jesus and all that. So kudos to you. Uh, just one little, one little addition to that, Philip, as you're saying that, whether you're a person of faith or you're not a person of faith and your, your calling or your purpose is connected to, to what you believe a relationship with God or not, it really doesn't matter, frankly, that you've, there's got to be a compelling vision in your life mm -hmm. um, that drives you. Money, and money isn't it. Money is just a commodity mm -hmm. you know, in, that, in that scenario. It's just a, it's just a, it's just a thing that, that begins to help you accomplish um, who you are as a person and that. So I, I'd say... Yeah, I mean, mine is connected very, very deeply to my faith, but you got to have some reason, man. You got to have some purpose that's way bigger than just how you spend eight hours a day. You know, sure. and we always say, like, what is your why? Why yeah. are you doing what you're doing? And the reason why we try to always fall back on that for every client that we work with is because things are going to get real tough <laughs> and they're yeah. not always going to go how you want them. And then if you don't have that why, or that why isn't loud enough, chances are then when it gets really tough, you're out. You know, like it wasn't. But if you can focus, on, if it's like money, like let's say I'm doing it because of the money. Okay, not the why that I think I would push into, but there's some people like that. I think at some point when that, when that path gets hard and weedy, it seems like people will stop if they don't know their why. And if they're passionate enough about their why, I'm thinking of a person that I know that has a foundation. He's trying to trying to start a foundation mm. for people who have lost their child um, mm. due to miscarriage. And his experience was that he and his wife had a child and then they had a second and then uh, that ended up being a miscarriage. Mm. And his bill was bigger than the one that was when his, mm. his son actually that's living. And so he starts a foundation because he wants to help other people that have have a miscarriage not have to have that big bill. Like yeah, that's a powerful why. That's big. And, and that's, that's big. a bigger why. That, so it's a bigger than, okay, the money or this, that, and the other. Like he can fight through that stuff because he knows his why and he's mm -hmm. super passionate about it. So mm -hmm. totally echo what you're saying. Doug. So Doug, because we know your story a little bit, 
things did get tough in after 2005. Can you walk our listeners through kind of that valley and then how you kind of God brought you out of that? Yeah, we we made some inve- initial investments in real estate and and then 2008 hit, which further exacerbated kind of the the financial crunch. And, um, we, you know, we just found ourselves just buried in debt and really, mm-hmm. really buried in debt and c- loving what we were doing, this, the, the work that we were doing and the international work and, and all of the, 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 what I call like friendships and the covenant friendships that mm. we, we had with, with people around the globe. We wanted to keep, keep at that until we feel like that, you know, we were being pulled in a different direction or whatever. We didn't want money to be the thing that stopped it. So we just were scrambling uh, to try to find someone. That's when uh, someone introduced us to, to uh, network marketing. And um, I had never, had never been around it before. I mean, I kind of understood it a little bit. I didn't have, I didn't have Philip's response to it <laughs> quite the same way, but I had similar feelings about it. I go like, yeah, I don't want to, you know, that, that's not something I want to do. Um, until I understood it and realized, um, you know, what, what really is at the heart of the business model of network marketing and why it's so powerful. And some people, very, very great, good, successful people have gone before us to lay a foundation to the industry now, which is quite different than it was 30 or 40 years ago. Yeah. So that, that, that turned things around. That started the turnaround. That was around 2008, 2009. Uh, what's the heart of the business model? Let's just go there. We're getting <laughs> the the heart of the business model is you have a you have a um, a really really quality product that you're passionate about that you are choosing to market that model through um, a word of mouth person to person belly to belly marketing uh, strategy as opposed to more sort of formal or what we might call traditional marketing strategies. That's the heart of it. It is just bringing a product to market and you are incentivizing and commissioning people to, to do that. And the more that you become a professional in it where you can market and brand yourself and your, your authenticity and your integrity in it, the more successful that you are. Those that believe that the um, the that network marketing is a um, a fast, easy way to success um, that they're going to make millions of dollars. They're not going to work that hard, and they're going to do it on the backs of other people. Frankly, um, are just really, really naive and and completely misunderstand what network marketing is all about. But it's but there is a um, there is a history of some bad stories out of network marketing as well as there's a history of bad stories around a lot of industries, mm-hmm. but we don't, we don't abandon those industries. So yeah. it has to do with the, the timing, the right product, the passion for the product and that sort of thing. Yeah. I think that you, it goes back to your why, right? Like, what are you, yeah. why are you doing what you're doing? And if it's a passion, uh, I totally get that that could be a good thing if it is truly a why. And what mm-hmm. I think I've experienced it is with probably those bad eggs, mm-hmm. and they're probably 11 out of the 12, mm-hmm. are doing it for the money and mm-hmm. doing it because of a business or their drive by their why, which is money. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it's just not genuine or authentic like you talked about. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's where it's, 
it, it muddies the waters a little bit for me. Yeah. And so that's why, you know, I've met six or seven network marketers that were just really off putting mm -hmm. to me. And that's not like everybody, but if you're passionate about the product, I totally understand that you would talk about it. It breaks down for me a little bit when then, okay, wait, you're getting paid on this now? Like, mm -hmm. that's where I think it breaks down. But then here's what Brian's side of it. Like, you're pretty passionate about your job, man, and you get paid for that. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. So, okay, good point. So. Yeah. I, you know, that, this, what you're saying is so good. Let me tell you part of, the, uh, part of the, um, the barrier in network marketing is this, that you become, and for, for a, a lot of people, this is new territory for them, sure, but you sure. become your own brand and you're an entrepreneur. Mm. That's the only way mm -hmm. if, if you don't treat it as a business and with all the professionalism of a business and the long-term view, the ability to, to sort of, you know, you know, hold off on gratification until, you know, later and all of the things that you have to do in building a business, if you're not capable of doing that, then it comes off very disingenuous and it does yeah. come off very sort of usury. And, mm -hmm. and I, and, and that's a, that's a, that's a, that's a real problem. It's, it's the same but I, I'd say that it's the same thing in any number of sectors, in financial planning, in yes. real estate, yes. in, in, um, in, <laughs> in, well, lawyering, in, in, in banking, in, I mean, you, any number of sectors, we can give you really abusive ex examples of abusive sort of use of, of that platform. What, what I love about network marketing is that if, when, you, when you find a product that you are passionate about, um, that again, that's just a subset, you know, my calling is, is sits on top of this, on top mm -hmm. of network marketing, on but top of career funds. real estate. This helps fund your, this helps fund it. And you, and I've got to be, I've got to be really, really passionate about the, the thing that I'm promoting and the brand that I'm creating around that, that it's actually, see, I, I, my, my sit down with anyone or my presentation with someone is all about bringing value to their lives because our, my product does that. So if you don't, if you don't have that as a basis, money as a motivator really runs thin very, very quickly. Mm -hmm. And frankly, that's not, that's not an approach that um, will, will bring you long-term success in network yeah. marketing. So Doug, you were at a pretty tough point with you and Marilyn in your life you know, with the downturn in real estate and just overall economy. Mm -hmm. And this is one of the main reasons I do like network marketing is because God has called you to so much in the sacred realm or kind of what we're talking about uh, just on the mission field, you didn't have a lot of capital to go start a traditional business. Yeah, that's right. I mean, what, talk about what it cost you in Maryland to get into this and on, on the average, what does it cost to get into a network marketing opportunity and then could you just share like super high level what, I mean, you're making significant amount of money from this now. Can you talk about that? Yeah, sure. It, it, that's, this is one of the, this is one of the upsides and the downsides of network marketing. Um, the very, very low barrier of entry mm -hmm. for someone that, that gives them access to enormous opportunity. Now the upside of that is low barrier of entry. The downside of it is low barrier of entry, which yeah. means you don't take it super seriously. Right. And it's kind of like, wow, you know, how could this, you know, 
this small investment really turn into something mm. that they're saying is is a potential. Mm. So, I mean, frankly, if you know, point. if it if it took you if it took you a six figure investment, um, I just looking at a piece of real estate the, this morning, and it's a it's a seven figure piece of commercial real estate. It's got a great tenant. Um, you know, it's a five five and a half percent cap rate, which is not super high, but it's but the it's solid as a rock. Yeah, cash flow, yeah. but it's you know it's going to be it's a it's five or six hundred thousand dollars to 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 get into that, which is that's out of reach for most people. Right. So. So you just, you look at that and you go like, man, this is such a low barrier of entry. And that's what I love about it. The problem is, is that it breeds a sort of hobby kind of approach. Mm. And if you treat this like a hobby, then it becomes- um, You're getting hobby a, results. You're getting hobby results and it's the kind of, you get the kind of approach to it, Philip, that you've resisted, that mm. you've had the bad experiences with. Whereas if you, if you, if it's a business and you, you've got a longer term view with it and you understand that and, and, and Brian, just to your point, we were in very significant six figure debt and we were drowning. Wow. Mm -hmm. And I, but we made a commitment. Um, I frankly put it on a credit card that I didn't yeah. fully disclose to my wife right off the bat that yeah. I had done this because we, you know, the, the, it was less than much less than a thousand dollars, but still, it was money we just did not have. Mm -hmm. And um, we made the commitment. I went to every training because I I was at least smart enough to know that I didn't know anything about what yeah. I was doing. So, so I went to every training, and you had to pay for that, and there was travel costs engaged with that, and that sort of thing. Um, and we came to a point about six months into it where. I, I remember my, my, my dear wife who was managing sort of our household income said, sweetheart, you got to stop spending money on this until we start making money. And it was this moment of like, listen, we got to trust this process. We have to trust what's happening here and keep at it. And that just a few months after that, things really, really began to turn around. And, and that's, any business is that way. You, sure. Yes. You've got to you right be break. all, you're at the brink. Yes, you're you, all in. There's moments along the way where you are all in and you go like, yes. I have no plan B on this. Yeah. This is yes. it. Plan B and is all plan A. <laughs> plan B is plan A, man. Yeah. Yeah. That's what we did. And so it just, and it's been an enormous blessing for us and it's residual income. And yeah. that's what I'm, that's what I'm after. Yeah. Many of these companies will pay you legitimately every week if you're doing the work, you know, to generate that type of money. The cash flow is very consistent once you get it off the ground. That's right. That's right. And the residual piece of it is very consistent also, which, you know, in a lot of sales positions, and I love, you know, I, I enjoy, I love the concept of sales, but a lot of sales positions, you're only as good as your last sale, that you're commissioned yeah. on that sale. That's it. It's over. It's done. And I'm this and network marketing it. is not that way. Yeah, it's actually the opposite. And I, yeah. you know, Philip and I both know several I would call them professional salespeople. They're working for a company though. They don't own anything yeah. and they're, they go out and they kill it every day and they sell and they make hundreds of thousands of dollars. And as they build that up, the companies are actually taking away their residual. They right. hit higher and higher and higher first year benchmarks mm. and they're taking away the trail for their profit. That's and right. So in, in network marketing, it's actually the reverse. You're getting very little upfront. That's right. And as it builds over time and you build that success, you're getting paid more for your yes. expertise. 
That's and right. So I want to spin this back to the sacred side because I think this is to me why network marketing is so compelling from a biblical standpoint. And and tell me if I'm off base on this, please. Yes, <laughs> tell tell him if he's off base. <laughs> Either of you. Either of you uh, tell me if I'm off base on uh, this. Let's let's to both let's get a counselor in on this thing. <laughs> yeah. Quick. But when you look at the path of Jesus, I mean the guy's out walking around. He's obviously led by the Holy Spirit. But he's talking to people. He's belly to belly with people, healing people, moving around, and he's leading people, right? And I think the reason you've had so much success is because you had several decades of leading people mm-hmm. and sitting belly to belly and entering into the junk. And I think to Philip's point, like so many people do do this wrong. And I think a small subset, it is the money, the success, the fame. Mm-hmm. But I think most of it's just the inexperience and not only leading people, but leading themselves. Mm-hmm. And so, so when you look at it from more of a sacred standpoint, we're called to be in people's life and have intentional relationship. You just mentioned that with your friends, covenant friendships. Mm-hmm. I think network marketing is the business model that puts you in that seat more than any other business because it's ugly. And, and Philip says this all the time. It's, it's ugly because it's really all people. And we're broken and we're sinful and we're inexperienced as we develop. And so do you have any thoughts kind of on that of just like the business model in relation to just getting belly to belly with people and entering into life with them through this yes. avenue? So many thoughts on this, um, uh, but I'll, I'll, I'll link two thoughts to it initially. One is um, uh, Rabbi Lappin has done a book called Thou Shalt Prosper, which talks about this sort of the, the wisdom principles of the world and how that is connected with um, financial prosperity and, and that sort of thing. And one of the things he says in there is that, that prosperity and success in business is embedded into people. I mean, you business, mm-hmm. business isn't created in a vacuum. You, it's, it's people and it's providing mm-hmm. a service. And he talks about, you know, even, you know, in, in, in certain cultures that the, the, the construct is even if you're working for someone, you're your own brand, you're your own entrepreneur. And you're bringing value to that to your brand in this, which leads into the second piece of it, Brian, and that is part of what I think is it makes um, network marketers successful and provides a platform for success is that you really do believe in the value you bring into someone's life. It is not about me. Right. I don't have an issue talking with anyone about what I'm passionate about. In my with the product that I that I uh, promote in network marketing, because it brings value to their lives. I say yes, they say no. It's fine. Doesn't matter. Yeah. But I it, it, that that is at the heart. That is at the heart of this, which ultimately places me in a position of saying, "Man, I care for people." And I, and and that when you when you talk about sort of the role of network marketing, this sort of the secular sacred, I, there's nothing different about the moment that I had as an 18-year-old when I said, man, I, I really kind of want to give myself to faith-based work because I really care for people mm-hmm. and I want, I want them to, to, to experience what I have. Um, that it's, it's no different. <laughs> if, if, I, if I have something of value that I think can be of value to someone's life on the product side or on the opportunity side, Mm-hmm. then how would you not share that? If, if, if guys, if we came up with, I just heard this the other day as someone was talking about 
Reverend Billy Graham and the legacy that he left For and sure. why, why he was so passionate and, and you know, he just never got all focus of this single clear message that he believed he was on the earth to deliver. The issue that they said was, if I had a cure for cancer, who who wouldn't I share that with? I mean, wh- wh- what, wh- how, wh- how could I get into a mindset any different than, and I just got to tell whoever, I, it doesn't matter. And I, I may not even no. know people, but I want, who knows what's in their life. So the same thing, the same thing with what we're talking about here. If it's, if, if I really care for people and I have something of value to bring to that equation, man, that's that, how, how much more sacred can it be? Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's a good point. You know, it's funny. It goes back to, uh, I'm a huge fan. I don't know fan is, but I, I like to watch Penn and Teller, you know, the guy that talks, I think it's Penn, maybe it's Teller. I don't know. But the guy who's like very articulate, so smart, he's a huge well-known atheist. Mm -hmm. He said exactly what you just said. And he's like, I'm okay with people and Christians who believe in Jesus to come up to me and tell them about Jesus. Mm. In fact, if you're a Christian and you don't do that, and you really believe in what you're talking about, and you don't do that, you're a hypocrite in my in my book. Mm. Now, I might not believe it, but you have to be passionate enough to at least bring it up because that, in your eyes, is going to save my life. So it's so a good. very articulate way. He yeah. says it way better than I do. Um, but let me move back because I just want to mention someone so special to your life <laughs> and Marilyn, your wife. She is amazing. And the way that she's stuck by you and supported you through this, I just wanted to shout out. I felt like we kind of kept glazing over her and I kept wanting to get my shot in. Like Marilyn is amazing. So we should probably have her on the show too. Yeah. Oh, listen, listen, man. If you want to like blow your podcast up, you need to have her on the show. (laughs) I am so stinking regular. Okay. uh, About (laughs) all this, but she's been, she's, uh, we just celebrated 40 years. Oh, for marriage wow. and um she is the wind of my sails man and i i say that not in a perfunctory way man it's the real deal that she has given herself to service of really in some ways the calling that i that i've had she's the hub of our family too we've got we've got three kids here they're all married in the des moines area we have 12 grandchildren here and she holds that clan together and it's amazing. She's you know, it's amazing. funny. I always tell my wife and I tell other people that if my wife is with me, I can be against the world. Like yes. I can tackle the world. Mm-hmm. Now, if my wife's against me, it doesn't matter if the whole world's on my side, I'm upside down. You know, like yes. it sounds yeah. like Marilyn, you have that same relationship. So <laughs> the same way. And when she came up that day from the basement after doing sort of our personal finances yeah. and says, Hey man, you gotta either start making money with this <laughs> this thing or you gotta stop. Yeah. That was one of those moments like, come on, baby, you gotta be with me on this. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. That dog needs to hunt real quick. That's great. You're not, you're not kidding. So let's if we can just stay on maybe the vein, we'll pivot a little bit, because we do know your children and Again, Philip touched on it before, kind of as we're getting going. God is just working through your family. And, I, you know, the term that I apply to is generational faithfulness, where you have your kids, grandkids, you know, not only from a character standpoint, but from a spiritual standpoint, they're, wa- they're walking with the Lord over several generations. And your family has been one that I've been exposed to that embodies that. And uh, obviously, you know, that's to God's glory as well. But like, can you just talk about maybe some of the things you and Marilyn have done that's encouraged that or that you would attribute to that? Um, and just speak to that for our listeners. 
Yeah, I mean, our first of all, I want to make sure that we know that our kids marry good, good people too, and they have. Mm-hmm. And there's families on the on on that side also that have built sure. into the lives of of our kids and and their spouses, and so I don't want to leave that out either. Mm-hmm. But we, the idea of a a compelling vision for the future is is bigger than just mom and dad, bigger than Papa and Gaga, which grandkids call yep, us gotcha. <laughs> um it, it's it, it just was it was it, it had to do with um i i wanted to be you know there's a there's a term in 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 this in the bible that's um it's a term that's the the it's the the translation of the the greek original greek is authentic or you know real um and the 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 etymology of that term is without wax in other words that the they used to make these pottery and and they would they would sometimes if they cracked they put wax in it and they couldn't see that it was had been waxed but it was it was it was cracked. damaged yeah it was cracked and this idea of authentic is without wax and 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 I we wanted to be the same in the church and in our business as as we were in our home and we wanted every that to be really authentic and so we just lived I think in a way that um, we were, we're not perfect. We were out there with our faults. Um, I've had things that I've really needed to confess that I feel like were generational mm-hmm. things that we brought mm-hmm. into the family that we've confessed mm-hmm. and we've worked on overcoming those things and, and wow. canceling out the, the generational element of that so that they could become better. Um, and then taken seriously, this, this sort of, um, generational mentoring that is very much a part of other cultures where the older the older sort of wiser been around longer generation um is honored in a way that they're listened to and mm-hmm. and we we don't we don't think that we we are owed that but we do believe that there's a role of passing on wisdom to mm-hmm. the second and third generation and passing on belief and passing on heritage. So we've taken that pretty seriously in, in things that we've done. We, we do some things as a family. We're talking about a family foundation now, um, in in, in ways how we give and how we support those kinds of things. And so I, I think that's, that that's, and, and just God's grace, man. I mean, we're really, really imperfect people, but, um, just God's God's grace, man, just as a personal testimony to you, you came uh, and left California, and you didn't come alone. You went with a family, your whole family, and then you gained one. Michael Sanchez, everyone. <laughs> Welcome to the family. I love yeah, it. exactly. So, so yeah. kind of to your point, the person that you were mentoring at your church ended up coming to Iowa. Caveat, he did marry your daughter. Yep. But I do think that's a personal testimony of what you're talking about, is how you have groomed and, and discipled basically Michael and Michael now is in throes of your family and so intertwined with this belief of focusing on the next generation and the generation after that. Mm. Um, so that's a cool testimony. I think just for our yeah. listeners that kind of happened between the California, we know this because we yeah. have close friends, with you guys, but okay. It's, so, it's crazy. Yeah, it's good. It's good. Okay. Let's talk about, I'm going to Brian ask a Philip question. I'm going to ask a Brian question. So it could be get a little awkward, <laughs> but let's talk about how you tie in all these residual incomes. Cause what right now you've talked about your real estate portfolio, your network marketing, you have investments. Um, 
just stocks, bonds, those kind of things. And we know that you have a life insurance policy. So I would like, you know, even you to talk through how those all inter intertwined and, you know, Brian can even talk through that stuff too. Is there any other one I missed on residual income they have? Not that I know of. Good. So yeah, those, yeah, yeah, I just, uh, like I said, we, we have a goal at the, the, the pathway that I've taken with some of the faith-based work and that sort of thing. There's no, there's no pension to that. There's no, you know, there's no, <laughs> there's, there's no, <laughs> yeah, there's no, you know, golden umbrella or, or yeah. parachute or whatever they call those things. I, you know, I, yeah. none of that's going to happen. And, <laughs> and I have no particular faith in social security. There's a little bit of that possibly. <laughs> Who knows? Anyway, so, so we've just, we've just said, Hey, we have to take serious and really got started late. You guys really late. Yeah. And this is where, um, I mean, you guys know the story, but I sure. can tell your listeners that yes. when the two of you sat down with my wife and I, I mean, my wife started, got very emotional yeah. about it because it was like, wait a minute, we, we have, we have a chance to still pull this together. And, mm -hmm. um, and it was, it was really, it was really cathartic, you know, in some ways. And so for me, Philip, to answer your question, all these things fit, the things that I'm giving myself to time-wise that are income generation have got some residual passive income component to it. Yes. And, and that's, that's just super important to me. The, the, the issue of the, the most, the most important commodity to me right now is time. It's not mm -hmm. money, mm. but most, most transactional relationships around money um, are about time. And yeah. you, you exchange time for money if it's an eight and, and you can, you can increase that with skill level and that sort of thing. But there's a finite amount of that. There's, yes. you've only got so much time and you're going to reach a point where this is, this is what have I exchanged for money. The only way to, the only way to fix that is, is some multiplier and the multiplier is passive income. And I'm a, I'm a, I'm a student of Robert Kiyosaki. Um, I, he, you know, if you're familiar with that, the right side of the cash flow quadrant. Yeah, yep. a big business, which is, you know, passive income or investments, passive residual income. That's where the wealth is. That's where that's where you want to get to. And so that's what we're doing. Everything that we're pointing toward. You guys have given us a strategy um, that we didn't know was available to us. Um, that's in the um, uh, infinite banking world, and that has been very encouraging to all of my family. Mm -hmm. And um, and as you guys know, so. So that's, that's how all those things tie together. They are means to an end. And the end is that we can continue to build a legacy around our family. We can continue to bring value to people's lives. We can continue to be about the thing that we believe that we're put on this earth to accomplish, which is, which is very much tied in with our faith. Mm -hmm. You know, we're running out of time, but I want <laughs> quickly, so I know, about. I know. I feel like this is every time. <laughs> it might be a yeah. good podcast when we just were like, want to ask more. I would love to hear your thoughts on retirement. Yeah. Well, I, I think uh, retirement is really an evil concept. <laughs> so do you want to know more? Uh, yeah, that's how, it. How much, that's yeah. what we want to know. Listen, the, only be, the reason is this. The idea that you at a certain age um, transition into something else that you're doing, that's, a fine, that's okay. That's a great idea. Um, but the concept of retirement um, I was, as I, as you guys know, I pastored a large church. Um, I, there were a lot of people in that church that were 
were in the Silicon Valley to get their money. It was dot-com mania. It was high, you know, and so they were there to get their money. And it was like, once I retire, it's going to be different. I'm going to play golf or, you know, or I'm going to get my RV and travel. Nothing's wrong with those things. It's just, those are just not life compelling. They're, they're not sustainable long-term. The, the things that are sustainable long-term are purpose and calling that's way bigger than ourselves. Yes. And, and so I just, so I look at that, the concept of retirement has contained within it this idea that I don't have to do this anymore because I could just do what I want. Well, that's great. As long as what you want, or as you said, your why is, is a compelling big why that yes. keeps you in the game. So I, the the retirement idea and the way that this was set up in the industrial, you know, when when, yep. when industrial the industrial age happened and the retirement pension, um, it can be used for something really really powerful, or it can guys can die on the back yeah. end. They retire, they have no purpose. That's and, where and, the statistics come. In seven years yeah. after you retire, you die. Yeah, that's it's really, that's why I say it's evil. The concept itself is evil. And you've got, we have to rethink that entirely and obliterate the idea of that. Sure. Love it. I want to go back to two things because they tie into points we're trying to make. I think that you made a great point about um, leveraging your time and then leveraging, you know, in a traditional business, you're leveraging people. You know, if you're self-employed, you don't really have as many employees, like you're doing all the work. You're not leveraging other people's time. And that's one of the major powers of network marketing is you're leveraging other people's time. Yes. And so, and then the other thing I want to say, just because I think you have such a great, you know, part of this or piece of this as part of your overall vision is, and we talk to people about this, the, the U S tax code is set up for business owners mm-hmm. and running a network marketing business the way you do, you can take advantage of, the tax code, not in an illegal way or an unethical way, mm. but a moral, legal, and ethical way to deduct the expenses in your life. Mm-hmm. And in 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 your you know sixties, you seem to be going stronger. Mm-hmm. And like you're you're charging at I don't even want to put the finish line out there, but you're just charging in the race mm-hmm. probably harder than you ever have. Mm-hmm. And so wanted to just see if you could touch on those two points of just continuing you know, this in your 60s and, and what that's looked like to other people in their 50s and 60s to get? Because I think a lot of people have that corporate experience or you had it more on the on the church side. Mm-hmm. But you get this, you get this experience in corporate America or whatever, and you're winning. And then you get out of that. And you're, I think people still have a taste for that. And I think there's just a lot of a different advantages that network marketing could bring to people like that. Yeah, it's so true. I, I, you know, I want to, I want to create a context around this term that you use leveraging people, leveraging the time of other people. Well, Zig Ziglar talks about this concept and, and frankly, it was embedded to me with my mentor in Dallas, where if you, if you help people, if you really help other people get what they want to get to a place that they want to, you don't have to worry about where you're at or where you're going to get. And that's that's the leverage that I'm talking about. You don't want to leverage them like network marketers leverage people. Yeah, 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 exactly. The the whole concept of of the leveraging people, um, if it, if it, it it can feel very self-serving and that's what, that's what's so, you know, and for some reason we don't, for some reason, we don't attach it similarly to other um, 
to other sort of ideas. In other words, if I'm a broker of a real estate agency and I've got, I've got sales agents in my, in my firm, I'm leveraging their time. But somehow yeah. that's more yes. responsible than network marketing. No, it's the same exact thing. Same but exactly. the reality is you, you, you're providing a value and a service and you're, you're, you're helping people get what they want and you really, really, truly want them to see, to be successful. That being, that being said, um, the, if you've got a, if you've got a large goal out there, if you've got something that's, that's worth giving your life to, um, whether it's a, a legacy that you want to, and you guys know, we have some, we have some financial goals in our family, For sure. the, the, the larger family about some real estate things and, and that sort of thing. And those are big, those are great things. Those are, those are legacy generational kinds of things. Well, what it does is just, you just go harder at it. I, I feel <laughs> really, really energized by it. Not that there's focused. reversal, yeah. you're focused. there's I'm energized. There's, there's reversal and you have to be resilient and you have to be emotionally resilient and you, cause you know, the same issues are there, but that the, there's focus around accomplishing those things. And then the beauty again of network marketing, not only the low barrier of entry, but you're right, you're in business for yourself. And mm. so much of the tax laws and so much of the tax code is written for business owners. And, and I, my, my accountant uh, that, I, that I have, we don't, we don't run it close to the edge, um, but we don't leave anything on the table. And, mm-hmm. and, that, and that, that, so, you know, that's, that's really, really a powerful tool. Also within this whole financial, the whole financial planning world. You know, I feel like this is the time of the show where we ask you to give our listeners some advice, but I feel like you should just rewind it from the first minute of this whole podcast and go through it again. Get out of here. It's a whole, it's a great episode. So I just want to just, I missed one of the seven sources of residual income and that was business. So you have five of the seven that we would say. And so mm. it's been great to talk to you. How would people get a hold of you if they liked what you, what they heard and just want to reach out to you? So I've got uh, a LinkedIn, uh, connect through LinkedIn, uh, Facebook. Um, uh, there's a website, Eden and Gray. I, I don't, I actually don't know. We just changed the, the website, but I, yep. so yeah, Eden and Gray, Eden and Gray.com. That's, um, that's a, a business website that, that we have. Um, you, they can get in contact with me through you guys, and yeah, um, and I, I I love uh, I love sitting down with I'm I'm really passionate about sitting down with younger guys uh, at this point too. I mm-hmm. I love to see um, I, lo- I love to see younger guys sort of recapture a little bit of what it is to be a, a guy in this culture that has um, has kind of has kind of muddied the waters a little bit on that mm-hmm. and and. Um, so anyway, yeah, so the people can contact me in those ways. Awesome. Great. Well, wow. <laughs> this has been an Thanks. amazing hour. Thank you for your time. It was only supposed to go 40 minutes, which never happens with never us. Happens. So just let's, <laughs> let's be clear. And so if you liked what you heard, this has been the Uncommon Life Project. And I've been your host, Philip, and this is Brian. Please uh, remember to like us and subscribe to us. Give us a good rating, and we will come back with another interview and possibly another dual cut dual cast yeah so thanks for listening listening, everybody thank you doug been an honor to be with you guys thanks that's all for this episode of the uncommon life project brought to you by uncommon wealth partners be sure to visit uncommonwealth.com to learn more about our services don't miss an episode as we introduce you to inspiring people who are actively pursuing an uncommon life 